This is Mission.org. If it looks and smells like other brands in fast food space, we don't want to go there. If it looks and smells like other fast food brands, we don't want to go there. Steve Robinson is all about making a brand that stands out. And Chick-fil-A is one brand that broke away from the pack, creating fiercely loyal customers even to this day. Welcome back to Marketing Trends. I'm your host, Jeremy Bergeron. And today we're going to hear from the former executive vice president and chief marketing officer of Chick-fil-A, Steve Robinson. And he's going to tell us why his aim will always be to grow better, not bigger. Enjoy the episode. You come from LA, Lower Alabama, LA. That's right. I come from LA, Louisiana, LA. So I feel like we got the, we, mm-hmm. we got that. And we got the SEC connection. I went to LSU. Don't hold don't hold it against me. That's all right. Uh, but I, I know you were an Auburn guy and uh and so I figured we, you know, we have probably a lot of similar similar perspective being from the same part of the US. That is that's true. Yeah. A couple of weeks ago, I was on another podcast with a guy that grew up on the Florida Panhandle. Okay. On the other side of Foley. And being from LSU, you'll enjoy this. I'm in a weekly Bible study down here in Naples. Okay. And your former head coach, Les Miles, is in the group. Hey, no way. He looks great. Oh, that's good. Good. That's awesome. Well, I don't know him personally, but you could let him know that a fellow, another fellow tiger says hello. I will tell him. You know, as I was doing some research on you, Steve, as well, and, you know, there there were some interesting things that have happened on your journey, of course. Um You've, uh, I mean, it seems like there were these, you know, call them divine appointments, if you will, these intersections of like, you know, you got a, you got a call from the, you know, COO at Chick-fil-A while you were still at Six Flags and yep. just kind of a call because you were, you had done some connection with them. You had, you know, gotten pretty deep down the rabbit hole, but kind of a somewhat maybe random or not so random call to you that really kind of began a, a, a wild adventure. And then there were certain, you know, these parts of your story, of course, reading in your book, covert cows and it's like clearly there were these almost signposts of like here's a huge opportunity did you feel did you feel that along the way of like just trusting these things is like did you feel the magnitude of what you were stepping into for example going from a six flags to a chick-fil-a you know when you were 30 years old wow that's a great question jeremy i don't know that i felt the magnitude of it because chick-fil-a was still a fairly young and upstart company okay but I felt the, I did feel, I did sense the divine appointment mm. because of all the things that had been going on in my and Diane's life. And I had been on a journey around biblical stewardship. Quite frankly, I'd been a, I'd been a holdout and um, God had been teaching me some things in that area of my life. And literally, and I talk about it in the book. Two days before that call from Jimmy Collins, Chick Fil A COO, I, Diane and I had made had made a major commitment to our local church, which, just to be frank, was 
out of my comfort zone and certainly uncharacteristic with my past. I had wow. I had lived with pretty tight hands. And uh, so when I got that call from Jimmy, there's a lot of stuff racing through my mind. But quite frankly, one of them was, you know, when we turned in that pledge, we weren't really sure how we were going to be able to do it. <laughs> Could this be it? Um, wow. Now, I didn't know that that was going to start almost a, uh, that was going to start over a five-month process of interviewing, um, which was unbelievable. I'd interviewed with Six Flags in one day. Wow. Out of Six Flags over Texas, in fact. Wow. By the end of that day, they'd offered me a job. So when I told Jimmy I'd love to talk, I had to do it stealth because I loved the job I had at Six Flags. Right, right. I remember, yeah. But I figured... Okay, I, I I can do stealth for maybe three or four interviews, and it went on over five months. <laughs> wow! <laughs> and uh, it was, but it was it, after I got in there, and I started to better understand the culture and better understand Truett Kathy, the founder, mm-hmm. and how that business operated not not only operationally but in terms of its values and its principles. The magnitude of it had started to dawn on me that they had the potential to be something great. Mm. That I did have a sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I remember you, you know, talking about this in earlier interviews about how, you know, Truett, who, you know, was the founder of Chick-fil-A, you know, your, your conversation with him, something to the effect of, you know, he's like, I have no idea, you know, what I need, but I, I don't, I know I don't want to do it. And he was more interested in who you were. He could he trust you? Right. You know, is this something? You know, his whole intent. It seems like that you, if you were to go there, Chick Fil A, that you were going to have a career and really never leave Chick Fil A. Yes. Well, Jeremy, you're first of all, thank you. You obviously did read my book. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you you quoted true almost exactly okay, correct. Okay. Yeah. And my, in what turned out to be my last interview with him, but it was in the fifth month, I finally pressed him a little bit and I said, Truett, I'm doing this stealth. What are you looking for in the ideal marketing candidate? Because they didn't have a marketing department. They were looking for somebody to start it. And that's when he said, I have no idea. All I know is whatever it is, I don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. And he went on to say, well, we want to know that we can trust you, that we have fun with you. And quite frankly, we want someone who will not have any desire to leave here because our intent is if we invite you to join Chick-fil-A, you'll never leave, which I found to be a paradigm buster. Yeah. Because yeah. I'd already had four different jobs in eight years. Wow. And, um, but I wasn't there probably more than two or three years until I started to realize, you know what? I could have a career here. Mm. Particularly after I had, as I shared the book, after I made a couple of major screw-ups and he and 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 Jimmy were incredibly gracious and and gave me a lot of rope and and I never had any sense that they'd lost their confidence in me. And uh, in fact, after one of those experiences that I share in the book, I, I went to Jimmy and I apologized. I said, Jimmy, I was too aggressive too soon. I didn't know enough. He said, "Don't worry about it. We've just invested two million dollars in your education. Wow, you'll never make that mistake again." Wow. And I learned a lot from that, not only about their their patience and their graciousness, but I learned a lot about how to market Chick-fil-A so we wouldn't stumble into some of the stuff that other brands do that just that just weren't right for Chick-fil-A. And um, again, I, I, t- I tell a lot about that in the book. 
So total, total there, you were, how long, how long were you there total? 35 years as an employee and three more years on their board. Okay. All right. Wow. We have the privilege of connecting with CMOs and and VPs of marketing across the Fortune 500 and beyond. Sure. It's a privilege. Sure. I love connecting with brilliant people just like you. And, you know, there's brands all over the world that will kind of pay lip service to some of the things that Chick-fil-A, these core values that Chick-fil-A is standing for. Yep. You know, a lot of brands will use that, some of the same language and, you know, we don't train culture, you know, we hire and think we hire for it and things like that. But my question to you is, because one, clearly Chick-fil-A was a brand that actually, you know, was living and breathing and doing what they said they were going to do. But mm-hmm. when you started to hear true it early, you know, in the early days and some of the other executives, you said it took you a couple of years to really see the the longevity of this opportunity. What was it that made you think like, wait a second, these guys are not just saying, I, you know, I want to know if I can trust you and will you be here forever? These guys actually mean it. Yes. You know, what, what, I guess it's just so many people say it and don't really mean it. And it seems like you, you landed somewhere 30 plus, you know, something plus years ago where you were there. And it's like, these guys actually meant what they were saying. That seems really important. Yes. Well, that, that question has a lot of layers to the answer. <laughs> um, first of all, I saw in Truett, a man who didn't get past high school. Uh, the world might say, well, he isn't very educated. Well, Truett Kathy was one of the most educated men I ever knew. He was, he was a student of people. He was a student of the word of God. That's probably the book he read the most. Uh, he was an incredible listener. He was a patient listener. Uh, he was willing to take time to listen to ideas, roll them over, pray about them, think about them. He wasn't rash. And when I started to talk him and Jimmy about issues around how could Chick-fil-A potentially not look like other fast food brands around food, around how we market, around how we design the stores, around eventually how we design hospitality, their receptivity was always wide open. And uh, particularly as one of truth's most common questions to me was no matter what it was about a potential menu addition, hospitality, college football, the cows didn't matter. His most common question to me was, do you think it will make the business better? And his definition of better was not bigger, but literally better. Better for the customer, better for the Chick-fil-A operators, and in turn, obviously better for him. Mm -hmm. And my responsibility was never to bring something to him that wasn't well thought out, if necessary, well researched, well analyzed. So when he asked that question, because I learned he always did, I could always give him an honest answer and say yes. He was more concerned about the reputation of Chick-fil-A and his than he was about how much money they made. I've heard him say repeatedly, I'd rather grow slower and get better and try to grow too fast and slip mm. in delivering what customers want and what, what we're capable of doing. Mm-hmm. So you hang around that kind of mindset and a guy that, that clearly uh, attempted to put scripture into practice, whether it was around closed on Sunday or his attitude about debt or his attitude about treating people fairly and compensating them well, 
or his attitude about obeying the law. He was consistent with trying to create a brand, a reputation, or a brand experience that long-term was more important to him than the next quarter. Mm. That's the headline. When you work for a guy that's more concerned about the long-term mm-hmm. than the next quarter, mm-hmm. it allowed me and my team to focus on, okay, you can build a brand in that environment. And we used to commonly say, okay, what, what's the next layer of the onion, the onion being the brand, what's the next layer of the brand that will make the brand more valuable, increase its reputation? And when we say more valuable, I don't mean to true it, but more valuable to customers mm-hmm. or make it more relevant. And with every layer, you potentially create a brand that people can't live without. Mm-hmm. Now, I didn't honestly think I would live to see the day that Chick-fil-A would become that kind of brand. But in fact, with millions of customers, it has. Mm-hmm. They are loyal. <laughs> they are loyal to a fault. They cannot live without Chick-fil-A. They highly recommend Chick-fil-A. Mm-hmm. They become the primary marketing agents of, Chick- of Chick-fil-A. Mm-hmm. And that wouldn't have happened if Chirp didn't have a long-term perspective of the business that gave us, and the value environment, um, that gave us an incredible laboratory to, to help build the Chick-fil-A brand. It's amazing to hear that, you know, Truett didn't spend time thinking about sales volume and, and customers in, in the aggregate. You know, these big numbers didn't, didn't impress him, you know? He really didn't. They did not. <laughs> you, you know, as, as also as a patron of Chick-fil-A and of you know, joining one of the millions of fans, you know, that are, that know the brand, it's like, you see a brand that did not deviate from from the scorecard, which was more individual customer, one-on-one, face-to-face, like, yes. you know, and also the restaurant operator. You can tell they heavily invest in like those two things versus virtually what every other company I've ever really connected with does, which is quarter by quarter, sales volume, you know, lead acquisition. And it's transaction. Yeah. That's right. Now, Truett had a, he was not a complicated guy, which is probably one of the reasons it works so well. <laughs> yeah. He valued people, and it wasn't because he said he valued people. It was because of his behavior. Giving Sundays off. Operators getting half-net profit from their restaurants. And, and so that the potential to grow sales and grow their income is very much in their potential control. Uh, creating an environment and compensation that was not just competitive, but more than competitive for staff members. Giving us an environment where we could attract talent that we could not only trust their competency, but we could attract talent where we could trust them as people, their character, and do the same thing for them that Truett had done for me. Uh, Create a career where they could thrive and they probably would not be motivated to go anywhere else. So you have a you have a talent pool overall in the Chick-fil-A family, operators, store team members, and staff, where the turnover is quite frankly, it's minuscule. And uh now over half the operators, new operators every year are have come from the ranks of the stores. Mm-hmm. They've grown up in the business. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have staff members who, you know, I would guess to illustrate half the people that worked in the marketing group when I left, are in another department. They're still there, mm-hmm. but they're 
they're getting to move around the business and learn and grow and have what happens is you remove all the reasons people typically have for wanting to go somewhere else. Well, I'm not growing here. I'm not getting the challenges I want. I can't make as much money as I want. Well, quite frankly, uh, you can do that at Chick-fil-A and, and that is additionally fostered by the fact that the, the business is so healthy mm-hmm. and growing at such a pace, they can attract good talent and give people incredible opportunities. I mean, you, you talk about a brand that's probably going to cross 20 billion in the next year. I mean, year, I mean, yes, they may cross 20 billion this year. Right. I mean, we're talking <laughs> incredible numbers and, you know, you said something earlier that I think is interesting in terms of how Truett kind of kept things simple. And it's interesting to think about organizations that as you scale, as you grow from 10 stores to 100 stores to 500 stores to 1,000 stores, there can be all this kind of complexity added to this, right? There's people and operations and all these things. Yet you look at Chick-fil-A and there's this through line of simplicity as they scaled and continue to do so of like remembering these core value things. You're in on a key point, Jeremy. We talked about all the time, true, chili, and as a result, all of us in leadership constantly talked about keep it simple, stupid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and true would would often say, I'm not interested in growing big. I'm interested in growing better. Okay, so you put those two things together, and here's what evolved over time. That business had, when I was there and still is, is full of innovation. But the innovation is fundamentally focused on how is this going to make it better for the customer? How is it going to make it better for the operator and their team members? And no matter whether it's menu or technology or marketing or operational support or training support, how, are, how is it going to remain simple enough that you can, you can make these improvements, but you, you create, and it takes a lot of work, what you put in place is simple. Now, the, the challenge with that is as you grow to be, a, you know, when I left, there were about a $7 billion business and you grow now to a business last year that was $17 billion. When you grow at that scale, the challenge is you don't roll out anything into the system that you have not extensively worked, mm. researched with customers, researched with operators, and actually tested to make sure it is still simple to deliver the innovation, whether it's menu or hospitality or ways of marketing, whatever it is, that underlying principle of simplicity, and since kind of like Apple, has served Chick-fil-A well, but it, it forces you to be patient and disciplined. You cannot keep things simple as you grow and rush. Yeah. And... There were times, many times when some of us, when there were innovation projects going on somewhere, somebody was telling us, okay, time out. We're moving too fast. We can't answer all the questions about whether this is in fact the best way to do it and the simplest way to do it. So very important point. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, there's, I was going to ask you about your, you know, relationship with growth and the velocity of growth, because at some point you're there and there's this tipping point happening where, I mean, this brand is just taking on this beautiful shape and it's like, how do you manage that expansion? You know, but also to your point, you just said, like, how do we kind of take a time out? Well, hey, look, you're also 
people are, you know, banging down the doors waiting to get in this place. And there's all these opportunities and new cities and all these things. What was your relationship with just how fast you could move at, you know, when you were there at some of the the high points of like where you could put your foot on the gas and go fast? Okay. Well, I, again, great question. Multiple answers. One, we, over the years, we developed a real good discipline of listening to customers. And what I mean by that is research, research in the stores, markets, and as a holistic brand. There's research going in, there's constant research of customer listening through internet requests, survey requests on receipts. There's quarterly intercept studies going on in stores, quarterly internet and phone surveys going on in markets. So my point about that is that and we're also doing the same with operators. We're doing quarterly surveys with the operators. We take 20% of the operators, 25% of the operators every quarter, and we survey them. And through those surveys, we're trying to find out what's working well, what's not working well. And we we would hear these pressure points with customers. Mm. Uh, we would hear pressure points with operators and team members. And so the challenge for us, we have all this kind of like a, a, a hopper. We got this hopper of innovation going on over here in the home office around food and technology and operations, et cetera, et cetera. And the challenge is you can't roll out more than they can assimilate. And we had to, we had to learn the discipline. Okay, we're going to have to rank order the innovation. And part of the rank order involved what customers appear to really value and want. What will make life better and simpler for them? What will make life better and simpler for the operators? And then what are the ones that appear the high, offer the highest rate of return, financial return? Hmm. And you rank order them because you're not going to do all of them at once. And in any given year, we might have anywhere from one major innovation rollout to maybe a maximum of three. Hmm. No more than that. Okay. And there were times when even three was pushing it because... Whatever the innovation is, it falls to then to the operators and team members in the restaurants to implement it. Mm -hmm. Let me take, for example, second mile service, the hospitality model. There's a lot involved in that. But when we rolled it out and we said we want to take hospitality beyond the dining room to the drive-thru, well, how are we going to do that? Not only with the personal engagement we want with the customer, but not have that slow down the service. And what that led to was iPad systems that interface with back-of-the-house computers that interface with central servers where we're, we're taking people's orders live face-to-face. We're, we're getting method of payment now, all not just from credit cards and cash, but now using the Chick-fil-A One app, and they preloaded their credit card and payment system, and we're scanning that. All of that's going to the computer in the store. The orders are being processed. And the triple effect that is it's affecting cash management, nightly deposits, inventory management, and supplies being ordered that night. Now, think, think about that. Yeah. And if we had not, but if we had not developed, praise God, with the IT group and outside counsel, if we had not developed that IT capability at the point of contact, as well as the interface with the app, we couldn't handle the volumes they're doing through those drive-through ones. Mm-hmm. There's enough cars as it is, but at, at least now between paying there, pre-ordering, doing a pickup, 
pre-ordering, having it delivered, or using a food service delivery, it runs amazingly smooth. Mm -hmm. But it for for that team member who's standing there with that iPad, and for the customer sitting in that car or using their app, it's simple. It has to be simple. Yeah, I love that. All that story to tell you, it took seven years to roll out the hospitality model mm. in order that it worked and it was simple for the guests and simple for the stores. And trust me, it's gone through multiple evolutions since we rolled it out. And it does. And it works well. I mean, to, even today, I mean, it's like the your experience, again, you know, at a Chick-fil-A versus other, other fast food restaurants, again, you're going to get a totally different experience. And it's interesting, actually, to see all this time pass where you'd think maybe some of these big, you know, fast food brands would start to maybe implement some of these things that maybe not everything Chick-fil-A does, but certainly some of the customer service and the, you know, the interaction that we get when we, you know, do business there. And still, you know, still they don't. Here's my theory on why they don't. They don't because they don't have a on-the-site leader like the Chick-fil-A operator. Hmm. You've got, remember now, you've read the book. You've got, a, you've got an independent contractor, or they can be an LLC, but an independent leader. They're not putting up money to buy, build that restaurant. Chick-fil-A is locating the site, building the restaurant, equipping it, et cetera. They are subleasing the restaurant from Chick-fil-A. They pay all their own expenses through the P&L. The team members are their team members. The customers are their customers. How they choose to serve the community and market is their choices. But at every, every month when that P&L comes out, half the net operating profit is their income. The other half goes back to Chick-fil-A. So what do you have? You have a highly engaged entrepreneurial leader who cares more about than just running the kitchen. They're concerned with building relationships in the community, attracting great talent, mm -hmm. training them, developing them, serving the customers well. They don't want to lose any team members. And so, you know, they're not missing me in the last five years since I've left. Chick-fil-A's average sanctuary sales growth of double digits. Continues. 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 Yep. But it's it's principally because of that local leadership. Mm. And that they're capable of absorbing this constant flow of innovation mm -hmm. and executing it well. Where I, I don't mean to I'm not being critical, but the model, the traditional fast food model of a manager who's working for a franchisee, they can't handle it. Mm. They can't handle it. And and it gives Chick-fil-A an incredible competitive advantage because of that operating model. It does. And Truett created it, he created it in 1967. Wow. And it, it has not changed one bit. <laughs> it's still a half net income deal for the Chick-fil-A operator. And uh, as, you, as you probably expect, there's a lot of motivated leadership in chicken restaurants. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, gosh, it's, it's incredible. I mean, there's so much, so many questions to have, and I want to just try to hit, hit what we can in the time we have, but there was a moment in Chick-fil-A's, you know, period where the conversation about being a title sponsor for the Peach Bowl, right? Yeah. Was this in 2012? This, no, 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 no. This would have been 19, that conversation started in 95 and we didn't do the first deal until 97. Okay, so 97 was the first Peach Bowl title sponsorship? That's correct. Who played in that game? <laughs> uh, it was Auburn and Clemson. 
Auburn and Clemson. Okay, all right. Because I I didn't know the exact dates. I know in 2012, Clemson beat LSU by one point, and that was a tough one for me. And I remember that was a great <laughs> game. That was a great game. I was standing in the end zone behind the <laughs> the field goal when it went over my head. It was <laughs> sorry. No, I mean it was that was a, that was the Deshaun Watson team. That was a great great game. It was. So why was there kind of the deadlock in the early years of about whether to go this route or not? It seems like when you when you made the when Truett, I think, casted the final vote to said we're gonna do it, that seemed to be a big another big intersection for Chick-fil-A. A lot of growth came after that. I'm just curious as to kind of unpack that and why so much growth after that. Well, to be frank with you, Jeremy, we were still my team and I were still navigating, helping people understand the role of a brand. And how do you market? Um, where you're looking to build long-term relationship and a long-term engagement, emotional engagement with the brand and not a, a, a short-term trackable return. And, and I think one of the things that has hurt the science and the art of marketing is analytics that put so much pressure on short-term results and the ability to measure, I do this, I get this. You don't build great brands doing that. Great brands, great brands grow and no different than the stuff growing outside my windows. They don't grow in 90 days. <laughs> they don't grow in a quarter or the next quarter. Trude understood that. And so the, the demographics of college football fit perfectly with Chick-fil-A in terms of who these people were, the things they like to do with their time, high percentage of college graduates and our, our, our customer base. Uh, highly indexed on watching college football, going to college football games. And if we were going to do one thing to start a journey of building the brand beyond store by store, to build it regionally and then eventually nationally, we just chose college foot because college foot because it was such a great demographic, but also emotional fit. I, I like to call it, it was a great brand rub. The emotional engagement of Chick-fil-A fans around their schools was the same kind of fandom we wanted to create for the brand, our brand. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And if we're out there supporting their team, their favorite games, their favorite ball games, and eventually it led to us building Chick-fil-A restaurants and over 300 campuses around the country, getting involved with virtually every major conference in the country and local operators doing agreements with the athletic departments at something like 500 universities around the country. Wow. That all started with the decision, we're going to sponsor the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. Wow. And it did. It, it literally came down to not all the executive committee quite got where we were trying to go, but you would ask the same question in that meeting. Steve, do you think this will be good for the Chick-fil-A reputation and brand long term? And I said, absolutely. Three years later, funny story, Jeremy, we're standing, he and I are standing on the floor of the Georgia Dome. And I, and I took a moment to thank him. Place is packed. It's just before kickoff. I thanked him for his commitment to make, make it happen. He looked around, you know, he wasn't humble. He he didn't do anything fancy. He just looked around and he says, well, I don't see anybody in here that can't be a Chick-fil-A customer. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's it was amazing. that simple. I mean, wow. he got it. 
I love it. I mean, I know, you know, you, you get to work with other brands now, I'm sure, you know, and it's, it's interesting. I, you know, I'm, if a brand brings you a brand today, brings you inside the house to, you know, talk about things they can do better. I mean, I can imagine how challenging it could be for them. Cause again, you, you might go, come into an organization and say, Hey, look, all these things that you think are important. Like we actually did the opposite of that at Chick-fil-A, you know, cause right. it's, you know, I mean, it's like, I mean, but it's like, whoa, like, wait a second. And I, I'm I'm curious, you know, as, as some of these brands are coming up in, in the Fortune 100 and beyond, like you know, having to think about their business model, like, okay, wait a second. It's like some of them are thinking we have to go back to what, what works well, which is focus on the customer. And it's these simple things that I think we can lose sight of as we're growing, yes. you know, massive businesses. You know, uh, we felt true about a, a lot, but you know, I had a 22 year working relationship with Stan Richards of the Richards Group who created the cow campaign. And, and Stan had a saying that always stuck with me. He says, if you create advertising people love, they'll love your brand. Well, the bigger part of that is if you create any kind of brand encounter, any kind, food, people, advertising, events, if you have, if you have any kind of brand encounter that people love, They'll love your brand and they'll fall more in love with your brand. The more of those kind of encounters you have, but that only happens if you have the kind of culture you and I have described where you've got a, you got leadership that's more concerned about the long term. You have leadership that's really, really genuinely concerned about building relationships with customers, with people in the organization, creating long-term careers, giving people a chance to thrive. It all starts with culture. And it all plays out with the way leaders make decisions in the context of that culture. And over the 35 years I was there, it was very, very, very seldom when people in the Chick-fil-A organization saw anybody in leadership making decisions that was contradictive to the cultural principles and the vision the truth and, and the Chick-fil-A leadership had for the business. Mm -hmm. And, and what that does is it frees up people to be innovative, but it, they're innovative in the context of that box top, that cultural box top. Mm -hmm. And so to your point about going into companies and listening and they're curious to what advice I have with them, I always start with, okay, I, I need to understand your culture. And if they have a short-term oriented culture, if they have a culture with a lot of leadership turnover, I, I'm typically not with them more than a few hours. Wow. Yep. Because I just look at them and I tell them, unless you're willing to deal with just those two things, I can't help you. Wow. So as a result, as a result, most what what few clients I have, and I'm fortunate I get to cherry pick, they're they're all private. Mm -hmm. I don't deal with any public companies. Mm. Because most of those environments are, they're not long-term focused. Right, right. They have a lot of leadership turnover and they don't, they don't truly empower the entire organization. Most of them, I'm not all of them, but most of them don't empower the entire organization to always be look out on the lookout for innovation that serves customers better. Mm. But, but Chick-fil-A does. 
Along the lines of, you know, creating advertising that is unexpectedly fun, as you, as you talked about, how, how can, is there a framework you can share just high level strategy or ideas around how can other brands begin at this point of creating advertising that's unexpectedly fun? I could offer some suggestions, but you, you, you probably won't know it until you see it. And even in our case, when we first saw the, when we saw the first billboard for the cows, we loved it. But even then, we didn't realize it, it would become a campaign. Mm-hmm. But here's how I answer your question. It all grows out of what kind of brand do you want? And we had clearly defined that we wanted a brand that demonstrated not just that we produce great food fast, but we, we served, but served by caring people. Mm-hmm. And in an environment of fun. Okay, I've just, par- I've just paraphrased the brand strategy statement. Great food served by caring people, but in an environment of fun. So Stan Richards and his group, they have that strategy statement. And one of the reasons we picked them was they had a history of creating advertising that was fun. Now, they ran creative through that filter. They also ran creative through a second filter, which was very simple. If it didn't make them laugh... And if it didn't make me and my advertising leadership team laugh, we're not going to talk about it. <laughs> if it ain't going to make us laugh, it's probably not going to make our customers laugh. And then you got to run it through the filter. Does it, is it going to help the reputation of Chick-fil-A or could it in any way tarnish it? Mm. And, but we, other than that, we gave them a lot of room. I think a lot of advertisers put too many ground rules on their agencies. Um, we want our advertising to do this. You can do this or you can't do that. Or you mm-hmm. got to do this or you, you got to show that. Or you got to use this word or that word. Let, leave them, give them what you're trying to do with the brand. Give them the fundamental idea of how you want to break through the clutter. And for us, it was fun. It wasn't product. It wasn't price. We told them, in fact, we don't even want you to show the food. Everybody else is doing that. Right. Showing food, showing prices. Well, I can change the logos and you can't tell who it is, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But we had told them all that. So here's our brand strategy, which I've quoted. We want it to be fun. Go to work. <laughs> and uh, they worked on our stuff for about a year and al- almost a year into it is when they came up with the cow billboard idea and the rest is history. The rest is history. How much of, you know, you know, I remember something in your book talking about you know, looking at all the other food companies and, and let's do 180 degrees of what every other fast food restaurant's doing, right? That's right. Like you said. That's right. Now, how much of that became fuel for more creative impact? Because like now it's kind of like, it's kind of us versus them. Yes. But how, how much of, you know, now looking at, because I'm sure now those, all those other businesses, they're still innovating in their own way. They're bringing new stuff to market. Yeah. How much of that, what they were doing, continue to fuel like, okay, if they're going left, we're going to go right. Huge. We would constantly ask ourselves the question, this was whether it was around food, whether it was around the service model, whether it was around how we were activating the, the Chick-fil-A peach bowl around ever. We would advertise the discipline of saying, if it looks and smells like other brands in fast food space, we don't want to go there. It, <laughs> it really was important. That's amazing. Uh, because over an interesting, sometime in the early 2000s, this book came out called Blue Ocean Strategy which I highly recommend. How can you operate in a big 
industry marketplace and still create a point of distinction and specialness. And what we realized was that that whole issue of being 180 from everybody else was was kind of a blue ocean strategy. Hmm. And every, I made everybody on our team read it, and we just tried to get better at that. So it helped fuel the development of the the, the second mile service because it, it asked the fundamental question, what would happen in the in a fast food restaurant is if you got treated like somebody in a white tablecloth restaurant? Mm-hmm. What were you white? Could other people in the fast food industry replicate that? Probably not. So we set off on a journey to figure out how we could. Mm. And what was interesting in that project was we studied white tablecloth restaurants. We studied Nordstrom's. We studied Ritz Carbon. We studied high-touch mm. retail. And, but it was all fueled by we don't want to look and smell like everybody else. <laughs> so that's, but that's a hard, again, that's a hard thing to do unless you're willing to have a very long-term horizon perspective. Yeah. Continuing to play that long game, you know, and, and, and committing to the long game as an executive leadership team and not wavering, you know, as, as the business grew and yes. changes and evolved, there's probably yes. opportunity to turn the ship this way or turn it that way. Yes. And maybe there was some turns, but ultimately like we're not leaving this long-term commitment. Yes, that's correct. We, wow. we were clear about our purpose. Mm-hmm. We were clear about our brand mission. And we were clear about not wanting to look like anybody else in the fast food space. And But you just touched on the leadership team. It was also because Truett and Jimmy had attracted the leadership team that they entrusted, they empowered, and we didn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're building that institutional experience and knowledge and, and an intuitive sense of where you're trying to take the business, not in dollars and cents, but emotionally and relationally with with the Chick-fil-A family, as well as the customer family. Mm. And our leadership team spent a lot of time in restaurants, visiting with customers, going to focus groups, spending time with operators. So when we were faced with major questions of strategic changes or moves, we had a backdrop of not only experience, but voices, the most relevant voices to inform the decisions we made. Hmm. I love that. So let's jump into a couple of fun questions with the lightning round. Sure. For those of you who are listening into this amazing conversation, whether you're, you know, here at Marketing Trends for the first time or you're, you know, one of the thousands and thousands of folks that listen every week, this podcast is sponsored by Salesforce. So if you want to learn about marketing and engagement, head over to salesforce.com forward slash marketing. We've got Steve Robinson on today. Steve uh, was a CMO at Chick-fil-A for over 30 years, an incredible, legendary man of the game. And um, just, in, just in, uh, you know, Steve, an incredible human being that, that again, attached your core values to others around you that had similar core values. And just the, the testament of where Chick-fil-A has gone is just, it's incredible. So well, you're very kind. We're grateful you're here. Well, by the way, a lot of the core values of true Kathy and Chick-fil-A rubbed off on me. So it goes... It goes exactly, hundred percent. Okay, so here's a fa- here's a question for you: texting or talking? Talk. Okay, I knew you were going to say that. Second question: What do you love and appreciate about yourself? <laughs> that I was worth my savior dying for. Oh, okay. What is your favorite day of the week? 
any day that I can go out and play golf. We share that in common. <laughs> I would probably say, I would probably say Sunday, and I'm not trying to be spiritual, but it's a day that I, Diane and I always enjoyed together. And mm. like a day we always protect. Yeah, I'd say Sunday. Okay, I like it. Um, what's a f- your favorite city in the U.S. besides the one you live in? Ooh, uh, I would probably say Carmel. Okay, okay. Would you rather be able to speak every language in the world or be able to talk to animals? <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd rather be able to talk to animals. Uh, they, yes. they might be a little more empathetic and relational. <laughs> That's great. See, a lot of folks don't choose that one, and you're one of the few, so I'm glad, I'm glad you chose that one. Yeah. I, I want to know what they're thinking while they watch us. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of things I want to know. You're right about that. Um, what's your favorite holiday? Oh, uh, Easter. Okay. Yeah. Scale of one to 10, not a golf driver, but a car driver. How good of a driver are you? Well, other than the one time I took my eye off the road and tailgated a guy, I'm, I'm it's the only accident I've ever had, so I think I'm a pretty good driver. All right, all right. Please fill in the blank. Something wise my elders taught me was. Listen, listen, listen before you open your stupid mouth. That wisdom will never get old. The more you listen, the less likely what you say will be stupid. Mm, mm. I learned that the hard way too, by the way. I'm, I'm still learning to listen, listen, listen. So that never gets old for me. Yeah. Um, would you choose invisibility or super strength? Oh, invisibility. Okay. Even when I'm in my career, I prefer stealth. Okay. Okay. Um, is it wrong for a vegetarian to eat animal crackers? <laughs> I don't think so. I, I okay. think they're made with flour. <laughs> okay. Okay. So if you, if you hadn't been in, you know, marketing and marketing leadership, what would you be doing? Ooh, I would probably, I I would love to be the commissioner of a collegiate league. Ooh, I love that. I love that. I, wanna, yeah, I wouldn't mind having Greg, Sankey, Greg Sankey's job in the SEC. Okay. All right. Um, last question. What would you go back and tell your younger self about being a leader, being a marketing leader? I would tell myself earlier to... Don't get caught up in the in the chasing of transactions. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until I got the Chick-fil-A that I really learned uh, relational marketing is more important than transactional marketing. I love it. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, 
The messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.